Listeners, welcome back inside the Feral Zone. I am Renee Coleman, operating under cover of darkness from an undisclosed location. The Feral Zone is a sister podcast to the Troubled Men podcast. It will appear in the space from time to time. Tonight, my guest co-host is the fantastic two-time award-winning actor, singer, guitar player, uh, star of stage and screen, it was a star of Fun Home, uh, uh, the original Tommy on Broadway. He's currently uh, in the cast of uh, HBO's Gilded Age and uh, the co-founder and co-leader of the Loose Cattle Band with Kimberly Kay, along with uh, in the band is myself and Rurik Noonan and uh, Doug Garrison. But without further ado, the great Mr. Michael Cerverus. Welcome, well, Michael. Glad to be back. Yes, 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 and and we're here working on a uh, the the next loose cattle record. Yeah, yeah. Which we we start off at uh, Dockside, out in the Bayou. Right, right, and we're we're here in Marini Studio, and uh, and we have with us terrific producer who who you chose for us. He's a, a great uh, record producer, engineer, mixer, as well as a podcaster. He has the uh, Gear Club podcast. He started off uh, in the early 80s working at the record plant, famed record plant. Uh, he's uh, he's worked with all kind of groups uh, from, from Sonic Youth and uh, Dream Syndicate uh, to Screaming Trees and, and uh, even like Sunvolt and uh, Dinosaur Jr. onto uh, Cindy Lauper, on and on and on. Without further ado, the great Mr. John Agnello. Welcome, John. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're, we're here in Marini Studios. Uh, we're, we're doing a week of uh, vocal overdubs and uh, so, some other uh, uh, percussion and stuff. Um, because the bass was flawless. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Well, I made all my, my mistakes already, so... Uh, and But uh, we... The, the original... Uh, uh, recording session we did uh, what, a month or so ago, six yeah. weeks ago at uh, the famed Dockside Studios in yeah. Lafayette, Louisiana. Yeah, that was an amazing. amazing yeah, now, week. now, so, so, um, Michael, uh, you brought John into the project. How, how did you uh, come to choose uh, the John f for this? Or well, how did you reach out to him? Actually, the question would be more why. <laughs> well, you know, that's the question we're asking ourselves now, of course. <laughs> it seemed like such a good idea at the time. At the time. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, half of my record collection has John's name on it, for one thing. And, and I've, I've known his name for years, and, and so many of the bands that he's produced and worked with are bands that I really love across a, a broad spectrum of, of styles and genres too, which was kind of important. And, um, and then also just actual personal friends of mine that have worked with John, like, um, uh, Anders Parker from, uh, Varnaline and, uh, the Idlewild guys and, um, and, um, and Steve Shelley, Sonic Youth and, uh, uh, just a bunch of people that, that I, knew had worked with John also and whose records I really liked too. So I just, when we were starting to think about this next record, you know, we've always kind of done everything by ourselves for the most part. Um, we'd worked with Mark Bingham some and we'd worked with Rick Nelson here, but we'd never really had a producer, you know, a, a producer producer come on board. And I thought maybe that would be something cool to kind of take us to 
a next level and to get us uh, to push us to do stuff that we wouldn't think of ourselves. And um, so I started thinking around, like, what bands do I really like? What records do I really like? What you know? What are the songs that we're writing, kind of leading to? And John was kind of top of the list, and um, and and he'd also well. So I I just went online and sort of looked at John's looked up John and Yellow and found his website and there's a you know there's a contact form there so I just cold sent him an email and said hi you know it's Michael I've got this band uh, I know some people who've worked with you and wondered if you you know take on unknown band projects and stuff or you know and I had an email back the next day and um, and we got set up a time to have a phone call and just talk things through and and immediately you know felt a connection and a and a kind of shared understanding and and then we had um we asked john if he would mix the the christmas single that we did last uh, last christmas or christmas before last the um the neil young cover that we did and so that was kind of like our way to sort of send him some stuff that we'd worked on and get him give him a chance to work on the stuff uh with us long distance and that turned out great and uh, and then we started the long process of figuring out when our schedules all coincided right well that's always a challenge with uh with this band as you know you have uh your your uh your side career as a as a great my, my day famous job. Act, actor <laughs> my and, day and, job right, as an actor right right, right. so a pretty uh, damn good day job <laughs> yeah. sure 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 it's so uh, you're just doing it until the you know to see yeah, how the music thing pans out <laughs> exactly. right 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 um well, well, John, uh, you know, you, so you have this uh, this contact uh, on your website. So, you, do you get any uh, any uh, any unsolicited like stalker things? You've heard me talk about my stalker in the past. Uh, do you have any any uh, any unwanted contacts there in that? No, I, I've actually been non stalker. Or I've been stalker free. Okay, um, so far, and, yeah, so far. <laughs> no, uh, that ends today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, well, yeah, but. Um, but uh, no, it, it's a great way just for people. For example, the Michael thing was perfect. I mean, it was like out of the blue. Here's Michael Severus, and when I mixed the song for you guys for that Christmas song, it was so much fun, and we got along really great. You know, obviously we weren't in the same room, but we the the back and forth was really wonderful, and I just enjoyed it, and I love the fact that. Um, you know, I love the fact that people like appreciate the stuff I do and would ask me to help them make their records. I mean, to me, it's it's honestly so important, you know. And um, yeah, so when we started talking about doing this record, I was so excited. And then also just, you know, going, I'd never been to Dockside. You know, I love New Orleans. Uh, uh, I don't spend enough time down here, but it was just such a wonderful, and, and the music was really great. And, you know, I love, um, you know, I've done a bunch of Sunvolt records, so I, I do have a love for Americana or country. I mean, I'm not, you know, I grew up a prog rock kid, but but I do appreciate Lots of different music, but you recovered from that. No, I, I <laughs> oh, okay. still. I, I have to <laughs> say, growing up as a kid, being into Prague was so great. Like, yes, and Pink Floyd, and whatever. I sure, you know, sure. that was. But also, that was just where I was in 1973. Right. Sure. I mean, so we all are places when we grow up, and yeah. that was where I was. And on, honestly, I, I have no regrets about that. 
Yeah, um, yeah, no. I, but but the I, point I is, I do love you know challenging uh, with different types of music. So yeah, it, no, it was really great, and I was so happy. And, and honestly, just the experience that, uh, since last November. I mean, it's been great. We have really just had a great time, and the record sounds great, and everybody's, it's just fun, and, and everybody really is great to work with and, and wonderfully talented. So, yeah, for me, this is a kind of, this is why I do this. Nice. You know what nice. I mean? This is, this is literally why I do this. And uh, I have to say, so walking in that first day of, of uh, Dockside, well, first of all, everybody always said Dockside is, is so magical. And I, right. and I would say I'd never, I'd never worked there before. I'd never even yeah, been there. Yeah, and yeah. I was thinking... Oh, you guys never had been there before? I, I'd never even it. walked in the place. <clears throat> wow, but okay. There's everybody I know had, right. had worked there, and everybody said the same thing. And I kept thinking, what the fuck is so great about this place, yeah. man? I, I, you know, now, and what people will say, oh, well, you're, you're out, uh, you know, secluded. Uh, you know, it's, it's out in the woods. It's away from everything, and and all of that to me sounds well, that's all terrible. I hate all of <laughs> right. that. You know, I, I I still have the trauma from one time I was playing with Green on Red, and we got deposited for a, a long, like a, a a week off at, at a at a live-in studio in Norwich, England. And they dropped us off, and the tour bus drove away, and we were there, like a mile away from the closest place to buy cigarettes. And talk about <laughs> talk about uh, you know the walls closing in on you. You know, we had Greg Elmore from a uh, uh, Quicksilver Messenger Service run, wow. running out of whatever uh, uh, supplements he <laughs> whatever was he was he, he was wow. using. And uh, you know, they they and we thought, oh, we'll be there for you know we can record all the time, and we'll know the studio is only going to be open the last day for the. So you can do these BBC <laughs> recordings. The lady's going to come in anyway. So I'm I'm picturing that with Dockside, but it really was, and I can't really even put my finger on why it 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 was so great. I mean, you know, we we got there on Saturday. I didn't get into an automobile until Wednesday. I mean, yeah. we didn't we didn't leave the we didn't premises. Leave the compound, yeah. Now the the very first day we're there setting up, and you know, I just met you, John. And I'm I'm watching you uh, take charge, and I immediately had this this sense of calm come over me, and I'm like, "Wow, man, that really is something." You know, I mean, it's it's this kind of ineffable, uh, you know, power that that someone who really knows what they're doing, and it's you transmit that, so it's it's so easy to see that everyone, or at least I did, just immediately felt at ease. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I'm a firm believer of that, the whole 10,000 hours of, mm. of, you know, if you do something for that long, yes, you get really good and comfortable at doing that. Right. And, and I have been doing it a long fucking time. It's just, you know, but also I'm, um, I grew up very personable person. Like I literally love all my the people I work with you know and I believe like I have a joke on my podcast and we always talk about oh you know making records blah 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 but I always joke with my buddy Stuart who's my co-host I was like if I want to be miserable 10 hours a day in a room I'll go spend time with my family <laughs> you know what I mean and sure. and I'm not I'm not flying to dockside to be miserable I'm right. flying there to have fun and like have a really great time do really great work with you guys make a great record, but also, you know, when we're done recording, I want to have fun with everybody. And yeah. especially like you guys were a perfect example. Everybody's so nice. We had got along so good. We talked at, at the end of nights. And when I found out that you, you, you and Doug had, 
you know, with the rhythm section for Alex Chilton, I mean, I freaked out, you know? <laughs> and then you played me his version of Volare. Right. And it blew my fucking mind. I've never heard of it, but, but that, that's the thing. My greatest me. keyboard work there. But, but my point is, it's, it is, it's work, and it's creating, you know, trying to make the best possible record at that time with the people you're working with. But it's also social, and it's also just, you know, being around really good people. And, and honestly, I've had sessions where everybody doesn't vibe so much and you know that happens every now and then mm. but honestly in the perfect scenario like we did at dockside it was great and, and honestly the guys at dockside were fantastic too super helpful yeah justin, justin was, taylor and yeah. steve yeah steve the amazing <laughs> like just like shows up and uh, and and <laughs> everything kind of like changes somehow yeah, when yeah, he's when yeah. he's around but also i will say as a 63 year old person who grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in Bensonhurst, which was, when I grew up, a very mafia, Italian, um, staying alive, um, Saturday Night Fever neighborhood, <laughs> yeah. to be in the bayou <laughs> was mind-blowing for me yeah. at 63 years old. It, but when, when we were having dinner that night and that boat came down the river with the <laughs> lights on, I freaked out. <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, "What?" It was like a, it's a ghost ship, you know. Yeah, it and looked it, like it something out of Apocalypse Now or but something. It was yeah. just, yeah. But, but stuff like that to me, like you know, that freaked me out. I'm not used to that kind of stuff. So it's a great experience for me, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. For for city boy. Yeah. Get yeah. Out there. Whatever. I yeah. mean, even for me. Yeah. It's like yeah. as I said. I and and I felt remarkably comfortable, even though it was there in the woods. Like you know, it's not my thing either. But. Uh, I mean, you know, we were you know, so busy the whole time, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's the reason why we never left. It's, I right. mean, when you realize there is a Whole Foods like twenty minutes away, you know, right. in Lafayette, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like you're just out in the middle of nowhere. And and we were so so focused on, on what we were doing and so concentrated, and we worked so hard. But then, but we also really relaxed and enjoyed the time together too. Right, and having Jay Gonzalez too there. Oh, from that was Drive amazing. Yes, I wanted to bring up Jay yeah. Gonzalez. How I'm much do we love Jay Gonzalez? Oh my god! <laughs> how how much can you love a person and then more? Oh my god! Sweet baby Jay. Sweet baby Jay. Yeah, yeah man. What a, what a what a terrific person. He's so interested. He's such a student of of music, pop music, all kinds of music. Such a great player. Has such great ideas and and. Uh, Energy. Endlessly enthusiastic yep. and yeah, positive. Man. My, my favorite thing about that was I land, Michael picks me up, takes me back to the Airbnb, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, I've got to go. And I was like, where are you going? He's like, i got to go back to the airport. I was like, why are you going back? And he was like, i got to go pick up Jay Gonzalez. I was like, you got to pick up Jay Gonzalez? <laughs> like, I was like, from the drive-by truckers? He's like, yeah, he's playing on the record. I was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, and I've been, I've been telling Jay, yeah, and, this, and John's going to produce the record. And he's like, oh, great, John. It wasn't until he got here he realized it was John and Yellow, <laughs> right. who, you know, <laughs> he, he knows. and you know. Yeah, well, well, Jay was telling me, he's like, man, I've been listening to, to John's podcast cast forever he goes i'm really starstruck man. He goes, i don't know <laughs> it was so good it was i, I so kind of think that's ridiculous i don't know i'm, I'm, I'm my, my thing is honestly like i'm i'm i always say uh to people like you know if it wasn't for you guys i'd be sitting in a control room with no music going on you know what i mean so sure, sure, what, sure. what, what enables me to do but you know what i mean what enables yeah. me to do what i do is like you guys it's you guys it's all about you guys um and i love contributing and helping and but but the point is like the thing with jay was like i couldn't believe he was there and then it just it ramped up all of us it was we yeah. just had a great time yeah 
That's you know, really and it was so much fun and so I mean the tracks sound great. I mean it, it was really a great experience. Right. And and tracking like that where you have, you know, the, the all the stuff that you might be doing as overdubs, you have it all happening there on the floor yeah. to where everybody knows how much they need to play, how much they need to pull back and and uh you know, it's it's everybody can I mean it it's a more organic process than yeah. thinking, oh, let me just imagine what's yeah. going to be there later on. Well, you yeah. know, also, once again, as an older guy, I grew up in the analog world where, you know, you couldn't send files to people and sure. stuff like that. You know, the magic really happened in the studio while you were tracking or doing, you know, overdubs right. and stuff like that. So um, for me, I appreciate this style of recording so much. Yeah. You know, even though we're now digital, obviously, right. but it's still, there's a way to keep the analog mindset. Well, yes. and like, oh, oh. you know, the way you have Kim and I singing with yep. two mics facing each other in in one room and, you know, there is bleed. You're playing today, you know, like listening to our soloed microphones and you can hear the other person like way off and like a little ghost in the background. But it's, you know, and so we were taking whole takes and we're not, you know, we're not doing minute little taking a tea from this word, you know, we're basically trying to sing the songs in yep. here and singing to each other and singing, you know, like, like, uh, old school George and Tammy kind of yeah, thing. But that was perfect. And, and the only reason, well, not the reason, not the only reason, but when I he how heard how you and Kim vibe during the live tracking, right. doing your vocals, right. I knew there was no other way to do these vocals. I, I want both you guys in the room. Yeah. And quite frankly, no offense to Kim, but I really don't want her in the control room at all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love her. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the old uh, Pro Tools joke, like, you know, uh, the singer goes out there, you go, how is that? He goes, sounds like shit. Come back in an hour, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. but uh yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the same, yeah. you know, on, on tape where, you know, just go play it right. You yeah, know, right. Like, yeah. like you could spend an hour fucking with it on, you know, mousing it around, or you could just be just an adult right. and walk out in front of the microphone and do something great in five minutes and we'll be done. Yeah. Well, especially if you have people that can play. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and you have the songs written and you don't have to, you know what I mean? Like the songs are written, they're arranged great. You guys play great. It's like, it's the magic's happening out here. It's right. not happening in the control room. Now, with this record, we actually had about half of the things that we had, had played already and been playing live, and about half of them that were you were still writing, Michael, and, yeah. or, and, and just finishing. And I know, John, you were a little bit trepidatious about, well, gee, that's a lot of, a lot of stuff that the band hasn't ever played before. Right. I don't know how we're going to get through all that. But right. then it, once we started... Right. Yeah, but, but it was basically when I got the demos, half of them were band demos and half of them were kind of just michael acoustic demos and i was like michael is how you know how is this going to work and but but the but the point was factor in the fact that everybody's really seasoned great musicians and you guys have played together for a while so it made total sense that it would come together yeah and maybe those songs took a little longer to track but that doesn't fucking matter mm -hmm. i don't care in some ways, those songs uh, were some of the most surprising and kind of uh, elevating um, of, of anything we did, frankly, yeah. as we were as we were yep. coming up with the stuff, you know, and you're so good, John, at, at uh, I mean, you come at it from an engineer's point of view, um, and, you know, maybe you don't know all, all the, the notes in every chord or yeah, anything, yeah, but know. you don't need to, because right. you, you, you do a thing where you'll say, something needs to happen here. 
Like, right. uh, you know, end of the bridge, end uh, of the solo, something needs to happen. I don't know, maybe a key change or something. And, you know, and now the bands, you, you haven't given us a solution. You've given us a challenge. Right. And yeah, right. now the, the band tries to come up with the, the best creative solution to your challenge. And uh, the, the, the time I'm thinking of in particular where we did this key change, yeah. it not only did it accomplish a key change, it actually took the song in this whole different direction because right. it did this kind of deceptive resolution. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. I know, I, I got hip. And once again, it's the 10,000 hours. I mean, I'm not a musician growing up. Um, I'm still not a musician. I mean, I have good pitch. I could play, I have good rhythm, all that bullshit. But, but the point was, it's like different situations on different records in my life. And the key change thing started with me with the band Red Cross from L.A., where I worked on their record Phase Shifter, and they had a song called Monolith, where at the end chorus, they repeat the chorus three times, and each time they go up in key. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what the fuck was going on, <laughs> but I was like, this is glorious. Yeah. And I was like, what? And they told, you know, I learned about modulation. But, right. you know, that's how you, you know, you learn about that stuff, and then you can incorporate it moving forward. It doesn't work all the time, but in the right place, it's fucking great yeah. and it's just but it's also that thing like you said where you know within a song you really want dynamics you want things to lift you want like that's why bridges are great like mm -hmm. a really great bridge just lifts the song after the second chorus which is where you you know you want it's something great to lift uh -huh. and honestly like i've just learned like from listening i've just thought about it so much and right. you know then you think about that and you right. also think about things like you're thinking about the whole record and you're thinking about, uh, you know, what different song, what role different songs are going to play in the course of the record, even though we don't, you know, we're recording like 15, 16 songs and they're not all going all gonna to be on the record, but, but you're already like, oh, this would be great. Let's do this, you know, stripped down acoustic thing, not have it be oh, a whole band thing. Oh, is that God's thing. Teeth? God's Teeth, Okay, great, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that was another one of those magical... Mm. songs in the studio right. that kind of and that hadn't that was just a demo when i brought it in and and you know we started sort of just pulling it apart and seeing what there was and jay started doing that crazy guitar guitar thing. stuff oh, and singing into the so pickups and, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> and um but that you know that's one where you were saying you know this this could fill a great spot in the record right. you know it could be depending on where you want to put it and where everything else is it'll perform a really valuable function in the record and that's that's a really cool thing to have in the in the in the mix when you're putting something together because right. what you ultimately are going to have is this document of I mean that's I kind of think of records as much as anything about like as a as a document of the time right. spent doing it it's just like it's a it's a photograph of these people this time in their lives this time that they spent together the conversations they had the you know whatever and and my favorite records you know like the you know the songs from big pink and like those right. things i that's how i imagine them i don't know if they really were but i have an idea of the world that was happening when those records were, when those guys were in those rooms and making those records. And so I love that, that idea of an album, just not like a list of songs that you wrote right. that you hope somebody's going to buy. Well, and, and yeah. the way you think about it that way is so, so, uh, creative and so artful and such a, uh, 
Thank a you. great addition Thank you. to to you know what we're doing, and I think it changed how we were doing stuff. Yes. Thank yes. you. That's that's really awesome. Um, we got some more compliments coming here. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm not, I'm not. You know. I was, I was, the first thing I wanted to say is like a lot of times if if there isn't a producer uh, on a record and a, and and I'm working on it, I will wind up being I'm I'm someone who's good at Defective. picking takes. Yeah. 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 And yeah. So you know, well, someone's got to really help do that shit. Right. I mean, right. But it's it was it's such a relief to when I don't have to do it. It's like this is great. All I got to do is sit on this side of the glass, play the bass, not think about anything else because right. it's in good hands, man. I have total confidence and yeah. yeah. And everybody did and like people were like John, what do you think? You're like, yeah, it's getting better. You're like, cool, cool, <laughs> let's yeah, let's yeah. do another one. Yeah. <laughs> and but, but once again, ahead. it's the same thing. Where honestly, you guys didn't fly me down. Down here or down to dockside for me to just not contribute, you know sure, what I mean? Right. And and but but also my demeanor is I'm not like a my way or the highway guy. I'll just give you my opinion and try to help, like you said, with the something needs to happen here. But I even said um, to Michael and Kim in the car coming here today, I was like, I have this idea, but I'm not going to be butthurt if you guys don't, you know, don't like it. It's fine. Mm. Um, so. It's the thing where I'm cognizant, like it's still, I know it's still Loose Cattle's record. And they, you guys have to be happy. And what I don't want is six months down the road, when the record's done and coming out, that you guys have misgivings about something. Mm -hmm. Like I want to make sure you guys are fucking happy with the record and really feel like it's your best record to date. Yeah. And um, that's really important to me. So I never lose sight that it's not my record. I'm involved. But it's loose cattle, right? You know, so that's really fucking important to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've never, I've never, I've never let anybody else just comp vocals without like sitting and and wanting to like have yeah. an opinion about all of yeah. them. But with John, I'm just like, you know, we finish tracking, and then John says, "Let me, you know, let me put it together, and then I'll play it for you." And and you know, here's a marker, and show me anything that you don't think doesn't sound right, and. And I just do like I don't need to sit in there. In fact, I don't even like sitting in there while you're put, putting it together. And and I'm totally confident that the you know maybe I would have chosen something different out of the seven takes or whatever. But I don't think it necessarily would have been any better. And and the way you hear stuff and the way you know the your priorities for picking one thing over another. And it's not just like. The ones that are in tune and the ones yeah, that no, are, you know, it's it's the performance, it's uh, yeah. performance and the story and the and the vibe and everything else, and so I'm just like, and I there hasn't been one yet where I've done more than say, oh maybe the beginning of this one's a little weird or maybe yeah, this yeah. thing, you know, but it's uh, and I've never been able to do that before, and and it's similarly, it's such a relief. It's just like, oh good, I can just like do the thing I I'm here right, to do. Right, right. You, know? <laughs> you get to focus your energy. It's yeah. a yeah. division of labor. It's uh, it's you know why we're, the human species has been able to uh, evolve the way we progress yeah. to this degree where we're we're on the verge of killing ourselves. <laughs> <We've been laughs> yeah. so but, but also to turn it back onto you and Kim, um, you know the bottom line is you know you warm up for the first three takes and get comfortable, and then by the fifth take or sixth take, like you guys are singing great. So it's like I'm just making notes on what I like the best or what has the most character or what is more dynamic. And but you know without you guys giving me great shit, it wouldn't be as easy to comp. Right. So I mean, like I, that's why everything it's all all of us. That's yeah. the thing. You know, without you guys, my shit would be 
um, way harder. And obviously, because you guys are so great, I'm able to really focus on what I want to get, what I think is a really great and interesting and, you know, comp. And, and, and quite frankly, there's a couple of times I hit the talk back and was like, oh my God, that take was so great. I'm getting like chicken skin. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and that's true. You know, I, I react emotionally to what's going on, you know, to the vocals. Right. And, and I've been really fucking lucky to work with some great vocals. I mean, uh, rest in peace, Mark Lanigan. Yeah. I made, you know, four or five records with him. And God, he's such a great singer and uh, and other people. I mean, it, but, but he comes to mind only because, you know, uh, terrible that we lost him almost a year ago, mm -hmm. yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love it. And, and once again, with the comping, it's like I've been doing it for years and I've just gotten... I'm in a place where I just know what I, I want, but then I hand it over to you, and if you want changes, I'm cool. Yeah, you but you're, so, you're also so quick at it and so instinctive, which I think is also really cool and kind of inspiring and, and has been inspiring me to be more like that too, just sort of like, you know, yeah, that's, I hear it there, that's it, no, that's not it, that's it. And I'm I'm sort of starting to, to try to adopt that myself right. more and right. not not just like because I can I can drive myself crazy I can find reasons for liking any one of 47 takes uh -huh. right. and and it will I will wring my hands and worry myself to death about it going back and forth and and it's really inspirational to sort of and and uh, and instructional to sort of realize no listen to that first instinct that you're having right. when you hear something you know or when you play something it's uh, uh i think it was malcolm byrne who who, who uh, worked on the uh the uh, uh bob dylan oh mercy record uh, yeah. uh, with with lanois and he was saying uh like bob's listening back to uh to vocal takes and they're going well that was more in tune he goes no nah, it's not the guy yeah that's yeah. not the guy and then he's like he hears uh, and he goes that's the guy you know yeah. meaning like that that persona right. that yeah. i'm embodying that's the guy that needs to be that's the character that needs to be singing this that's song cool well yeah. we grew up with those kind of records i, I said that in the control room uh, at one point we were comping a vocal and i you know i, I turned around i forget to who and i was like you know to all of us i uh, whoever's in the room i was like we're all we're all around the same age kim obviously is younger right but um but i was like you know those are the records we grew up listening to. Like Rod Stewart, Every Picture Tells a Story. Right. I mean, granted, this is odd, but, you know, in one of the so in that song, in the breakdown, he comes in a little early. He goes like, ah, and then he realizes he's early, and they kept it in there. Uh -huh. And as a kid, I fucking loved that. Yeah. I thought <laughs> right? that was the coolest fucking thing in the world. But, you know, there's stuff that's a little out of tune, but singers. Right. Singers, you're, it, it, attitude isn't necessarily bad unless it sounds bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? If there's emotion, like, that's amazing. Yeah. And like I said, we all grew up listening to great singers singing emotionally. And back then, you couldn't change the tuning, so nobody gave a fuck. Right. Right. Now we have auto-tune, so now everybody thinks they got to go in surgically and, like, alter every, every fucking line. But, like, I'll give you a perfect example of, like, two or three artists I've worked with in the past is Jay Farrar, Jay Mascus, and Thurston Moore, or, or even Kurt Vile. If I tried to auto-tune any of their vocals, mm -hmm. they would have fired me. Sure. You know what I mean? And it, I get it because, yeah. that, you know, Jay Farrar gets to his notes a certain way. And if you change the way he gets to his notes, he's a robot. Right. 
and you miss all the coolness of how he swoops in. Yeah. And and that's how I've always realized, I mean, I get auto-tuning if something really needs to be uh, fixed, you can do it, but I'd much prefer to just say, Michael, do one more take. Right. You know, but we got it in the takes we did. I always found the right take that was in tune and sung well and some, you know, a bunch of guy. Every time. That's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to get into, uh, you know, your, your whole history of starting, you know, how you got started at the record plant and all these, these uh, you know, great artists you've worked with. And uh, But uh, for right now, I think it might be a good time to take a little break. Uh, oh, so, sure. uh, all right, all you uh, feral listeners out there, uh, go uh, fix yourself another cocktail and we'll be right back. back back with mr michael serverus i am renee coleman back with our guest mr john on yellow and uh, i know john's new to the podcast uh, my podcast anyway his old hand his own uh, gear club podcast and and uh you know they have uh, actual sponsors michael <laughs> <laughs> whereas, i've never heard of such a thing whereas the the feral zone the troubled men podcast have, have had a, a sketchy history with sponsors <laughs> and uh you know we're we're uh, exclusively a uh listener supported operation yeah but so, you know with the sponsor mm-hmm. it means i have a boss so okay. trust me, it's not right. Well, it's not I'm, always ideal. Not cracked up to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we do have the uh, the the PayPal link and the Venmo link and the show notes of every show and and also on the uh, the Trouble Men Podcast Facebook page on the pinned post there. Um, you can uh, you know support the podcast directly. We also have a, a Patreon uh, uh, page there. You can become a patron. And there's really not a better way to spend ten thousand dollars than than. Sure, you know, than yeah, the, yeah, than yeah. the minimum level. Yeah, of, yeah, uh, I think it's uh, a write-off. I don't <laughs> exactly. know. Don't don't quote me on that. You know, I am I'm not a uh, tax prof- I'm not, anyway. a, not a CPA, but yeah, for sure. You know, give it a try. You know, it's a, <laughs> they're not uh, the the Republicans just uh, canceled the the, uh, the yeah. There's going to be no going to the be IRS, no IRS so, anyway. So yeah, so do whatever you want, people. Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, you know, uh, support the podcast. Uh, uh, follow us uh, on on social media. Uh, what do they say? 
rate, review, and uh, subscribe. You know, give us five stars. Doesn't cost you anything. Uh, I think it seems like a like enough uh, housekeeping for tonight. So uh, back to you, John Onyello. Oh God. <laughs> so so one thing I want to get into your history, like I was saying, but but uh, something I I'm not sure you're aware if you did. I'm, I wonder if you were, you're aware you if, did this. If this you were record. doing this intentionally, <laughs> the or allegations not. are untrue. <laughs> right. But uh, it, it might have been like the the second day of recording or something. You know, first day we spent a lot of time setting up, and we got a couple of things. And the second day we kind of went in. Uh, 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 it was actually kind of funny thing because you, you called a, a 10:30. Uh, <laughs> Call time the second the second day and I was like really ten thirty seems early and you're like what is that too early for you like no no I mean I can be there whenever <laughs> also you're so, you're sleeping upstairs in the yeah. studio so, so, so not like so, you had a long commute so so at uh, at uh, now and and you and I were still getting to know each other yeah, of course. you know at this point so uh, so I was getting <laughs> to know everybody besides Michael right. Right. Show, just... shows you how I am though this is some 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 people like it some people don't <laughs> so so uh, at ten thirty the next day I'm sitting there. And I look around the room, and there's Jay Gonzalez. There's the engineer from uh, from the two engineers from Dockside. I'm like, hmm, just us here, huh? <laughs> Let's take band? a picture of who's here at 10:33. <laughs> well, I like that you were going to take a picture here of yourself in the studio and send it to us, even though you weren't here. But when we said we were maybe going to start at 10 one of the days here, and you're like, all right, if we're going to say 10, I'm going to take a picture of myself at 10 o'clock here, but nobody else around. Anyway, um, uh, but so the second day, we're, we're, it was maybe the latter part of the day, and we're doing this tune. And uh, you said uh, we we did a few takes. We you know we got one. You said come in and listen. And uh, we walk back in the control room, and the bass is suddenly way louder than it had been before in any playback the the previous day or earlier. And I'm listening to it, and and I'm I'm playing way too much. The bass is playing way too much. I'm going, oh jeez, oh man, jeez, relax, Renee. God, I don't know what you're trying to do. You're trying to prove. And I thought, man, that John is a cagey motherfucker, man. <laughs> and and now here's the another interesting thing is I go, I'm sorry, John. I'm not going to do that again. I'll play less. <laughs> now later on, I thought, why the fuck am I apologizing to John? It's not. It's Michael's. <laughs> Michael and Kim's record. You know, I should be apologizing to them. But I'm looking at you as a father figure here, <laughs> apologizing to you. I don't want to mess up your project. We're the same age, right? Uh, yeah, I'm a, a year or two younger than yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm that 59. would be a weird father figure. Well, sure, sure. You know, well, it is New Orleans. So, it is so uh, we have a compressed uh, generation <laughs> here. <you> know, <laughs> I get it. But uh, but yeah, yeah. It's uh, just, uh, now. Was that intentional, or was that was that uh, uh, unconscious that you <laughs> did that? You'll never like, tell. Anyway, the shit got pointed out, so that's all. <laughs> right, right, right. But basically, if anybody else listening ever works with John Aniello and you find yourself really high in the mix, <laughs> there's something you need to be paying attention to. <laughs> I, I got it immediately. I thought, ooh, that's really slick, man. <laughs> and now that's that's a very subtle kind of way to solve a problem where you could have pulled me on the side and you said, Renee, look, I don't know what you're doing here. You know, you're playing way too much. You don't need to be doing all that. But you looked at me and you said, this this kid's going to know. You know, I, I don't need kid. to. This guy. <laughs> I, I don't know. Between the father figure and the kid thing, I don't know what's going on here. I'm, I'm revealing too much. Right? I guess, Michael, he's got to stop referring to me as Uncle Daddy. 
It's really uncomfortable. <laughs> I'll talk to the band's HR. Okay, great. <laughs> but uh, but you know to to I mean so much of of what you do as a producer is managing emotion, imagining. Ma- managing vibe and and flow of everything and like that's a brilliant stroke to to do it in that way where right. you don't call anybody out it's just it kind of seems to be organic but it's yeah. it was intense well i mean i like i said i've been lucky to grow up over the years working with really and having really great mentors and it was back in the 80s when you know there were no recording schools like you literally got hired to be an intern at a studio or a cleanup guy and whatever they called you back then, you made minimum wage. And, you know, but after hours, you would get to sit in on Jack Douglas sessions or all these great producers. And, you know, it it was pre-cell phones. So when you were in the room, all you did was watch. Uh-huh. And and honestly, my some of my mentors are were just made great records, and they were really great at what they did. And I just observed. And, you know, a lot of the recording... Um, thing and coaxing artist is it is a psychological thing i'm i'm no psych major but i've learned um what i've learned like the right thing to do and i've watched guys do the wrong thing and i've learned what not to do and and that's an important factor too like you know and so anyway yeah no it's subtle but yeah you know it's like it's really great to, to, to be able to do that kind of stuff and have it work. And, uh-huh. you know, because sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the guy comes in and goes, oh, I got to play more. Yeah, yeah. Look how good <laughs> like, oh, I sound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they really like what I'm doing. Yeah, could, could, could you get me this hot in every, in every tune? Yeah, yeah. No, I think the bass needs to be this loud all the time. I think I'm going to double the bass with the octave. <laughs> sure. Like, no, that's not the point, that's dude. That's not what I was trying to say. But, you know, I got to say, you're, you're very, are, we're not, an uncomplicated band, uh, you know, with the the grouping of people that we have, and your your artful way of dealing with of identifying all of our ways of working and thinking stuff, and sort of making it all work in harmony has been really really great too, and yeah. and accommodating people, you know, where they meeting people where they're at. Well, like I said, I, I'm really lucky that you guys are also. A, super talented, you've been doing it forever, amenable. Um, like I said, I, I'm not going to lie, I've had sessions that were total shit shows. You know what I mean? They and can't all be the best. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. But I always say, I don't always say, but I, I mean, I average, like every three or four years, I literally have the nightmare session <laughs> where it just it's like there's no way to get through it and it's just terrible. Right. But, have you ever but, had to like leave something in the middle? What? Have you ever had to leave something in um, the middle? I've had one, there was one in 2017, I won't mention her name, where it was really awful. We had great players, and she was on ATO, and um, I just couldn't get her to sing. And it was a full record, and um, yeah, I, I remember we were doing basic tracks, and the band was playing, and I literally opened the vocal booth door, and I was like, please sing. Like she wouldn't sing, and then ultimately it went horribly wrong. Um, and um, she bailed at one point because of some reason. And then she was going to come back, like you know, after Christmas in January. And then she never came back, and it, we were done. But we spent like ten days cutting really good basic tracks, like with a really great band. Um, Steve Shelley played drums on it. My buddy Emil Amos played bass. Um, um, 
but yeah, and I I never really understood what went wrong. Like I couldn't get her to sing. And I said, I said, please, if you just sing, we'll figure out whether the takes work or not. Uh-huh. And she just was just never comfortable to sing. And the band played great. And I had done pre-production with her and she had come up to New Jersey and stayed with us and we went through all the songs and we did changes. So yeah, that was a weird one. Yeah. And I never uh, realized why. And then, and then she went on to do redo the record with another producer up in Catskills and the same thing happened and then ATO dropped her. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so okay. I don't, it was just a weird thing and I, I really did like her and like I said, she stayed with us for a, a long weekend so it wasn't like, you know, we got along. Right. But um, I could never figure out why I couldn't get her to sing, hmm. you know. And I, I really tried. I tried everything. And, um, yeah, so there, there are those situations. Right, right. This, uh, this, this friend of ours here, this guy in town, Doug Belote, great drummer, he said he was talking to Chick Corea one time, and he, and he goes, yeah, Chick, man, you ever uh, play a really, really bad gig? He goes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he goes, no, I mean, a, a gig that's so bad you, you want to quit playing music? He goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He goes, he goes, what do you do? He goes, play another one, man. <laughs> yeah. He goes, what if you have a whole bunch of really bad ones in a row? He goes, well, figure, you know, what you, you do for a good one. <laughs> yeah. A good one's going to be coming. And but so, I, like, the Chick Corea has that experience. It's like, yes, this is a human experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like I said, I, I feel like it's every three or four years, something will, a gig will happen where it just doesn't work. And then I'm just like, fuck it, I'll just move on, you know, because the other gigs work. And, and you know, I'm I'm really proud of you know, all the records I work on. So when one goes bad, I I feel like, I don't know, it's nothing I'm going to internalize. Sure. You know what I mean? I'm just going to move on. It just, we just didn't, we didn't work together. Right, right. It's not, not necessarily you, not me, but you know, just whatever. The the stars didn't line up. Right, right. Well, you were starting to to talk about, uh, you know, how there was no uh, recording schools. Tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, uh, being a a record producer. Uh, Okay. You didn't start off. Part of the reason I'm like I am is because I'm really fucking lucky. So when I was 17, my brother was a design engineer for Eventide. Mm. So my brother's a legend, Um, uh, Tony in yellow. Um, He designed the first digital pitch shifter for Eventide, the H910. Mm. He designed the first multiprocessor unit, the 2016 for Eventide. So multiprocessor meaning... They put out a unit that did reverb, delay, pitch shift, flange, and nobody had put out anything like that um, before. Um, but, but the point is that, so my summer job in 2017 and 2018 was working at Eventide, and I'd stuff boards. Not, you know, not 2017. I'm 20. sorry. Ugh. 1979? 77 <laughs> and 78. Okay, I'm there sorry. there you go. <laughs> sorry. Um, but point being that, um, that was my summer job and, um, they had a studio upstairs called sound exchange. Uh, so I was always looking around, but through my brother, I got, um, basically I, we did an interview at the record plant in Manhattan, uh, on West 44th and I got hired to be a cleanup guy and I was in college but I did the great thing. I just literally, one day I was in class, and the next day I was dead. Everybody thought I died. You <laughs> just never went back <laughs> to college. Went back. I never went back. <laughs> I it love was that. so fucked up. Um, <laughs> but it was great. And my friends who were in college knew I was leaving, but like, you know, the, the professors were like, all right, 
you know, John and Yellow's gone missing. But uh, <laughs> but I, I spent two years uh, interning, cleaning rooms, being a tape librarian. Um, so once again, um, with analog tape, you know, Bruce Springsteen did Darkness at the edge, edge of Town there in Studio A, way before I was there. But, but the point is, you know, he had 200 reels of tape. And you have to log the tapes in every day because you have to be accountable for the tape and know what's songs are on every reel and you know project number date um um, of song titles so that's what we spent a lot a lot of time doing but i was lucky to get the gig because paul sloman who was the manager the general manager of the studio was like well we know your brother and you know if you're anything like your brother you're gonna be you know you're fine yeah and i just persevered and i literally for two years i just cleaned rooms and i was telling the story about how you know at seven o'clock you know, if Meatloaf was mixing, they'd let me, you know, go at seven o'clock at night and I'd stay for two hours and then take the train home to Bensonhurst. Um, in fact, a funny Meatloaf story, one day they called me down. They were mixing and he was being a pain in the ass, so they called me down to play ping pong with him in the studio. <laughs> and I spent two hours with him playing ping pong and he would slam every hit and he'd hit me in the forehead and the chest. And I was just like, that's okay, me, it's fine. But I was like 22 years old. It was like he was insane, but great. And I literally spent two hours playing ping pong with him and then he, you know, they were like, all right, John, you can go back to work. And- You've gotten enough aggression out and you could <laughs> yeah, go on yeah, with singing. Yeah. But um, but no, and then I became an assistant there, and and like I said, I was very lucky. I knock wood that you know Bill Whitman, Dave Thoner, Jack Douglas, um, um, Jay Messina, uh, all these guys were my mentors, and I learned so much from them. And you know that's 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 part of. I mean, people say, oh, you're so fucking humble, but I'm humble because I was really fucking lucky. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was in a situation that was really great, and I learned so much from all these people. Um, and, uh, it was fantastic. You know, that's how I got the, uh, assistant on the Cindy Lauper gig. Uh-huh. Um, I was working with, uh, the producer was Rick Chertoff, who was then an A&R guy at Columbia. Bill Whitman, um, was a great and still my friend and mentor, um, great engineer producer. Um, but I got to sit in those rooms and watch those records being made, you know, right. and it was really amazing. It was an amazing time, um, for me. Man, and talk about the the kind of talent that was coming through the record plant. At, at, it was crazy in those years. Even when I was like an intern, I mean, Kiss was making Dynasty. No, they were making um, maybe Unmasked. I forget what. But I was like just walking around and like having Gene Simmons show show you his fucking crazy Polaroid book. His book of, of <laughs> oh naked <my> women. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> but you know, they were there. It was Kiss, you know, kind of Stevie Nicks like uh, first solo record like walking around the hallway and you know, yeah. No, it was just a, a great time to I that's that's once again I was really lucky to be in that situation and and I never forget that I was fucking lucky. And then I made it happen, but still, I was lucky. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, uh, you know, uh, Napoleon said, "Give me generals who are lucky." You know, I don't need say that. I don't don't need generals who are good. Give me generals who are lucky. (laughs) He did not say. He did say that. Really? Yes. (laughs) He said it in French, but it was yeah, yeah. No, it didn't have the same accent as I have, but uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, So we're sitting the 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 last night or the. Yeah, the last night that we were at, in uh, Dockside, we we finally left the compound. We went and and, and to, uh, to shucks to yeah. went and, and and had a had a meal outside at a restaurant, and uh, the the 
owner comes over and he's telling you about oh we have this other venue oh, right. and these yeah. bands play here and he and he says uh yeah zebra plays here and you're like zebra <laughs> what the fuck and and uh, and and he goes they're from new york and i'm like well no they're really from here and yeah. he goes well i've worked on their first record <laughs> yeah. so it's crazy so is i mean the, they're a new orleans band originally i mean they were the premier uh led zeppelin cover yeah! band in in the in the 70s here before they moved up to like long island or something yeah, yeah yeah that was the stretch where i was assisting for jack douglas so he you know he did uh john lennon records he did the uh-huh. first three aerosmith records he did the first two cheap trick records jack is amazing he's still making music he was great. My mother loves Jack Douglas because I think it was on the Aerosmith records where he literally, um, two or three nights, he sent me home via cab at four in the morning because he felt bad that I had to take the, an hour train ride. Yeah. But my mother never forgets that. In fact, Jack and his wife, Christine, were at my first wedding in Bensonhurst, which totally was weird because you have Jack Douglas and then a mafia family. And that was bizarre. But but the point was that's how close we were. Uh-huh. But yeah, he produced that record and I was the assistant engineer. And um, it was great. And those guys were so nice. Randy was the best. But, you know, you know, tell me what you want. You know, he had that high fucking <laughs> right. voice. It was crazy. He still sings like that, man. I, he can I still hit he all the notes. My, my, my wife went and saw, saw Zebra with the uh, Louisiana Philharmonic a, a, a uh. month or so ago, and they did the whole Zeppelin, you know, w- with the Philharmonic thing, and, and she, she took a videotape, and I swear Randy can hit all the yeah. high notes, man. But, but their first record was all originals, obviously. Right. And that was, I got a gold record for that, even just assisting on it, because it did great. Yeah, I mean, Who's they, Behind the Door was the yeah, big hit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, whatever. They were great. But I was, once again, super fucking lucky to be, and these guys really, um, like I said, they took me in and really were great with me. Uh, there's another great story where, I think it was a, another Meatloaf record, not the one that I helped play ping pong on, but um, I think it was Dead Ringer, <laughs> where literally Jimmy Iovine was producing and Raiders of the Lost Ark was opening up at a a theater right down the block and Jimmy had all these tickets and they let me go. And like Jimmy was from Bensonhurst and he was Italian and we had the similar thing where, you know, when he was a kid, when he got home from the studio, his mother at 2 a.m., it was like in Goodfellas or whatever, where like <laughs> the mother, after you kill the guy and you go home at 2 o'clock, the mother makes you pasta. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, there were nights where I got home at 2 in the morning where my mother like woke up and made me pasta. because <laughs> ah, I would, But nice. Jimmy had the same thing. And I'll never forget being in the lobby of the hotel, of, of the movie theater before the movie. Jimmy looks at me and he's like, you must be freaking out, right? And I'm like, dude, I am so freaking out. <laughs> like, it was the craziest thing. And, and uh, yeah, the, Year, years later, I did a record for Interscope and he was running Interscope and I heard through the grapevine that he said to the band's manager, that guy's still in the music business? <laughs> that was pretty fucking good. <laughs> you were talking about the Louisiana Philharmonic, which reminds me that, that the Lost Body Ramblers are going to be playing with them this weekend. And... I'll never forget that we had Louis Michaud came and played on the record when we were out at Dockside. And I remember Louis 
sort of felt like, you know, well, if I'm coming, you know, to guest on this record and stuff, and you got this, you know, producer down from New York, I got to bring him some Boudin, you know. Oh my God, that was insane. And, and, and watching John discover Boudin and, and realizing that basically Bensonhurst and, uh, and you know, Opelousas are, you know, not, not that far apart, really, culturally. And, but still amazing. That, yeah. that shit was crazy. That was some of the, my favorite things I've ever put in my mouth was that fucking Boudin. <laughs> and then, like, when I got home, I tried to explain to people what it was, and they were like, yeah. <laughs> no fucking idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, dude, it's a fucking sausage, but it's got... <laughs> it's like, like they were just like, you're an idiot. Right, right. Yeah, you had the boudin balls. They had something. Yeah, balls, yeah. that yeah. fucking ball. Yeah. That was the fried one, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, like, oh, my God, that was so good. Uh, <laughs> I'll <laughs> yeah. take your word for it. Um, uh, well, an- another New Orleans band that I saw on, on, your, uh, on, on your, your credits list is uh, the Red Rockers. Now, now the Red Rockers, they, their first name was the Ratfinks. And I was at the Ratfinks' very first gig. Uh, they played in a, 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 someone's house party in Bocage, which is on the West Bank. It's in Algiers here in, in Orleans Parish, but uh, it's a few blocks from where my parents lived at the time. And they were like a New Orleans version of The Clash, except they played everything even faster, you know. And uh, so, so yeah. Then uh, you know, I, I see. Oh, you know, they become the the Red Rockers. Uh, you know, they have a big hit with uh, China. Yeah. And uh, is John Thomas Griffith doing the uh, the the new wave dance? You know, walking down the. Yeah. Uh, I love that that scene. But so so you worked on a record of theirs. It's crazy. But I worked on the record after that. Right. Yes. Um, and that was my mentor, mentor, uh, Bill Whitman. I mean, he goes professionally as William Whitman, but I, you know, we call him he's Bill Whitman. Right. But um, yeah, and that was when I was engineering for him, and it was they were great. I love that record, and that record. I don't know. Maybe it didn't have the hit, but it was really just such a solid record, and they were great guys. They were what, so nice. How sweet is John Griffith, man? That, uh, what a sweetheart. You can't, you cannot find a person to say a bad word about John. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. But that was a really fun record. Maybe it was a little too psychedelic or whatever. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know why that record didn't hit. And, and it's really, it's interesting doing this for as long as I'm doing it. But there's a list of records that I just don't understand why they didn't. Yeah, well, who you can know, say? You don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but the point is, that's one of those records where I fucking love that record, and they were so much fun to work with, and they, um, you know, they we once again the record plant, you know, Studio B tracked it, you know, and and mixed it in the mix room. I don't think we mixed it up. I don't think they had the moving face. Oh, they did. Uh, so the mix room. Uh, in New York, there was a, a company. Uh, George Massenberg was one uh, had an uh, early moving fader automation, mm. and we the record plant got the first of his systems put in the record plant. And I'm pretty sure we mixed it in that room on moving faders. Um, but no, they were really great. I I, I still love that record. I, I I I'm you know I wish it would have done better, but they they you know it didn't happen. Well, now, so since you mentioned uh, moving faders, I don't have this in my notes, but uh, before they had moving faders, before they had uh, computer <clears throat> mixing or automation or anything, uh, the engineer would have to perform a live mix. It right. was actually a performance yeah. a- in real time. To me, there is something that that can 
like add the human element, the excitement when you're doing a live mix like that. Right. Because it, it's not about getting being perfect. You know, music right. is it's it's about conveying emotion and right. and you know emotional energy and you like an engineer especially you're a producer who does all of his own engineering you sit there you know like you have an assistant engineer they watch you and and wait for you to go hey uh what do we have to record a you know what kind of mics we got for this they go oh, we got this this is like oh let's try that you know but right. but you're engineering it all so uh, you want to talk about the art of the mix thank you well there were there were different ways that it went down um i will say like on some of the Cindy Lauper record, we just mixed sections at a time and cut them together. Mm -hmm. So, so the amazing thing about analog was that you were super limited, but the records took longer to make. Mm. You know, like you know, with Pro Tools, you have millions of options and stuff like that, but it's almost quicker. Right. Whereas with analog, you had 24 tracks, maybe sometimes 48. So you think it'd be faster to just do it, but actually it was harder. Mm. to do it um so it, like uh, certain songs on the cindy lauper record and i want to think maybe and i could be wrong but all, all through the night which was a jewel shear song that cindy covered mm -hmm. i think we mix that in sections so we get the verse right and then we print it mm. and then we do the chorus mm -hmm. and you do all the moves right you print it and then at the end of the day you'd cut it together uh -huh. And listen and be like, oh, maybe, you know, the second verse. And then you, you know, put on fresh tape. And yeah, and when you say cut it, you mean like and take out blade. scissors. Razor uh, yeah, yeah, razor yeah, blade yeah, yeah, and razor like blade. take a um, piece of tape. But yeah. then there was the other records where it was all hands on deck. I'll give you a perfect example. I assisted on a Jay Giles record. It was the first record after Peter Wolf left the band. Um but I was the assistant, but what, during the mixing, I literally was in charge of doing moves on the outboard. Mm. Like they would give me a list of moves to do, like, okay, uh -huh. on this limiter, on the vocal, bring it up this much in the chorus. So I would have a notepad of moves and I would just stand in the back and just do shit they told right. me to do. Yeah. And that was fucked up. And then there was another one, I forget what the record was, but Shelly Yakis was the engineer. But I had to lean over to him because the toms had a lot of cymbal leakage. Mm -hmm. So I had to make a list of all the tom hits and ride, ride the up. tom, but over <laughs> his shoulder. He was, yeah. And whenever I'd miss a move, he would look at me, we'd have to hit stop. Uh -huh. And I'd be like, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> But but that's how it was. It was just, well. There's something really yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, you know. and 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 you can kind of. Uh, I mean, uh, maybe I'm reading too much in it, but it kind of feels like you can feel it. Like the 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 right. recording picks up that energy. You know, yeah, it's like yeah, responding yeah, yeah. to what's one what's more. Honestly, that was so much. It was so much fun doing that shit. Even when I fucked up and I was like, oh shit. And <clears throat> I always joked with my assistants in like the early 2000s when I was still doing analog. And everybody else was doing Pro Tools. Like the, the joke around New York City was, oh, John and Yellow's here to make sure our multi-tracks work. Because <laughs> everybody else was like, you know, doing digital right. or starting to do digital. And I would come in with my boxes of tape. Uh -huh. just, they would just be like, oh my God, this fucking idiot is still doing analog. But I would, I learned from back in the day, like when I would work on the moving faders, I got really fast. I was really fast at doing my uh, one pass of Tom moves. I'd write down where all the Tom hits are, 
hit play on the mo- on the analog and like literally just in one pass do all the tom moves and just have them up when the toms hit and then down right and it was from doing that as a kid you know like, mm-hmm. like oh, everything was training for me like everything i fucking learned was training to be better at it later nice. and but that's once again that was the magic of back then i like and it comes back i was just so lucky i was in a control room with shelly yakis like, Shelly Akis, if you fucking look at his discography, uh-huh. he, I mean, damn the torpedoes. Right. Which, honestly, to this day, I think might be my favorite sounding LP, vinyl uh-huh. record. I was a huge Tom Petty fan. Sure, yeah. Who isn't? But damn yeah, yeah. the torpedoes is such a great sounding record. And it's that fucking guy. Yeah. Like, it's Shelly Akis. Nice. So, and Greg Calby, who mastered yeah, it. Yeah, right. But, but still, Shelly, you know. Cutting your teeth during, during that, that era... You learn that decisions are your friends. You have to make decisions. You're yeah, printing right. stuff. You know, maybe when you use uh, Pro Tools, it's faster for you. But for a lot of people, they have unlimited time to make unlimited decisions. It takes them forever because they oh, yeah. can never make a decision. Yeah, yeah. That's what. That's kind of what I was trying to talk about earlier about the way he comps. You know, it's just like really quick and it's like it's this it's this it's this that's the thing we that's, make a decision then we move on ear, we, we live with on. that yes yeah. yes it yeah, could have been you... a million other things but this is what it is now right. yeah. but also if you have the really good take so i think the thing to keep in perspective is it's like we're getting 98 percent of the great shit and there's the other 2% that you could spend a month agonizing over that <laughs> yeah. nobody else is going to hear. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying, though? Yeah. Uh, but that's true. And I, I li- you know, listen, I work with a lot of indie kids or adults or whatever people. And I do get the people who really, like I told you about the one singer right. who literally, while I was mixing, listened to the first test mix and then came back with a list of recomping the vocal and it was like 50 comments and like noises and stuff like that and it was like what so we literally while mixing had to solo the vocal and recomp the vocal and it was just like it doesn't matter yeah a good vocal you know a great vocal is a great vocal if you know uh, but people get caught up in sounds and i've had people like in pro tools or whatever like come back and say like you know i hear some guitar squeaks and finger noise and it's like well you're playing guitar <laughs> yeah yeah you, know, you, you like, have well, fingers fuck? Yeah. i mean really you're gonna <laughs> but it's like forensic audio uh-huh. and I, I don't do forensic audio you know i, I mix records <laughs> right. you know and, and, and but that's you know but once again but i go back to the whole thing you want the artist to be happy right. so obviously you have to do that because that's what they want but right. they don't understand that it doesn't fucking matter yeah that's the thing it doesn't fucking matter right like that guy told me renee you'd have to smoke a joint two feet long to hear that (laughs) (laughs) and i love i also love that you're that you continue to be so excited by young bands and 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 female artists in particular and and the perfect example of that for me is horse girl which is this amazing band that that uh made their first record with you just recently and and it's one of my favorite records of the past i don't know how long and and i love that they i love that they knew to come to you and i knew that and i love that you you know heard what they were doing and thought i i know how to you know to to give them the record that they may not even know they want to make you know um or they yeah well you know that was a funny scenario because it was 
July of 2021, where I did a bunch of recording in the beginning of the month from Richmond with the Dream Syndicate, which is a bunch of 60-year-old guys. Sure. <laughs> and then took a week off and then flew to Chicago to work with 17-year-olds <laughs> on their first record. And that was fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, but but honestly, I, I, I'll just tell you, the, 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 the thing about the horse girl thing was, um, really quick, their influences were so cool. Yeah. They had better taste in like indie rock from like eighties than I did. They turned me on to shit I'd never heard. Um, but also it was their first record. Yeah. And quite frankly, they I made know some great singles, but but this but, was, but their, the first point was real, their first real yeah. full length. And for Matador with, you know, R Rennie from an, another management company who manages Kurt and Waxahachie, he's their manager and they have a great booking agent and publicist. Um, they got really they were in a great place. They had a great crew. Right. Um but but the thing I realized at that point was, and you know, unlike with you guys or whether I'm working with the whole steady or whoever, like I was like, I'm not changing any of this shit. Right. Like this is literally a snapshot of three seventeen year old kids and this is what they're about. And I even said to them before we went to the studio, demos sound great, rehearsals sound great let's just make this fucking record. And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah, I don't want to. I said, next record, if we do a record together, I might just, you know, discuss some, some arrangement yeah. stuff. But I think the magic of this record is you guys making your first record. And I don't think there's no, this is not the time to fuck with your thing. Yeah. Like I want everybody to hear what you guys want to do right now. Right. That's cool. But they were great, you know, and honestly, we were at Steve Albini's place, Electrical, and we set up, and, and same thing, um, no auto-tuning, um, minimal edits. We did some edits, but minimal. But I, you know, uh, uh, the drummer Gigi, like literally I had her play songs, some songs like 20 times. Mm. And I was just like, no, Gigi, do it again. And they, she was like awesome with it. Mm. And the band played. And they got the shit done. And mm. it was so great. And it was... Not there was maybe one moment where they were like stressed out about something, and I sent them home to like work out the shit in their you know rehearsal room in like one of the kids' basements. Right, and they were like so happy that I said you you know I said you're working out this fucking problem, and you're looking in the control room and you see my dumb fucking face, and I'm sure you're bummed out. So seven o'clock, go, go where you're comfortable and go yeah. home. I'm going back to my Airbnb, and you know, but they were great, and I gotta say like. This this year, this year end list, they've really done well. And uh, but but to their credit, it's a great record, and they played great, and they're really fucking talented. They really love. I mean, they encapsulate what they love. Yeah. They they're not a copy of what they love, but they are so good at channeling what they want to do, yeah. and it's really fantastic. Yeah, I like, totally agree. I'm so proud. I'm happy for them, and, and I love the fact that they all moved, uh, went to college in New York City, because now they can do all these, like, banging shows, like, opening up for, like, you know, right. Super Chunk or whoever mm -hmm. yeah. in New York City, because they're there. It's, like, yeah. such a great move. Right, right. It's exciting to, to see a young band, uh, you know, as, as somebody who's, you know, loves rock and roll, loves all this raw shit, you know, and then, you know, now we're in an age where it's... Uh, you know, everything gets kind of merged out to a certain degree, yeah. you know, and it just to, 
to see some like wet leg, you know, I'm very yeah. excited oh my about God, that. I, love I would them. love that band. Yeah, I you know? fucking love them. Yeah. And then me but, and Sharon love them. But then the fact that they're not alone, it's like, yeah. okay, it's, right. it's not they're a total not, fluke, you know? Well, I really, I, I gotta say, I really love the Linda Lindas too. I think they're great and like, and they're younger, but you know, like more props to these kids playing great music yeah, man. and they're only going to get better. Right. Honestly, I am so excited, but, but I got to say wet leg is a staple in our house. Oh like yeah. We all, and we love the, the lyrics, the, the silliness, but it's uh-huh. great, but it's good. Silly. It's not like silly, silly. And, right. and just like the riffs are great. And, just how they approach their songs, like they're like that song "Supermarket," right? Where they're, like they're shopping and they get high, and by the end of the song, like they're literally the the effects on the vocals. You could tell they're fucking high. I mean, it's fucking genius. No, honestly, like I think it's yeah. fuck, like the way they made that record is fucking genius. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it totally holds up. It, and it's it's the uh, I went and saw them at Tipitina's. You saw them? Oh yeah, yeah, what yeah. Did they yeah. Like live terrific yeah, man great. like exact like it sounds like the record oh, they're great. so loose and and uh you know just relaxed and fun and they're all having such so much fun it's fucking infectious but it's right. the the one band that all the old guys like me uh like you know everybody who was who was into like you know television or yeah, you know right. any of that, <laughs> that kind of stuff you know that that's all those people love wet leg and then you know young kids too <laughs> seem, yeah. seem to like them. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm so glad there's like a new generation discovering all of my favorite music so that I can yeah. go like you know go here and I can be you know the kind well, you of, love horse girl remember we talked I about it horse oh, no, I go see I them when I did I've seen them I've seen them like two or three but times remember when now. I was in town but I had to leave yeah. early yeah, you, yeah you I saw them at Bowery Ballroom yeah, okay. and then saw them open for pavement yeah I was and, so bummed yeah. I didn't get to see them yeah so John, you have uh, you know you have the the loose cattle record here where you're 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 you know it's kind of the the mid mid section. We have some more work to do, and you have mixing and all that. You have your your uh, uh, Gear Club podcast. Uh, you know, have terrific guests on that. Just had a uh, uh, you know um, Michael Imperioli uh, as you know has <laughs> yeah. been everything from from Mean Streets to uh, uh, you know the Sopranos to uh, yeah. you know and his band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so. Man, it's so exciting! Uh, you're doing all that, and you have more guests coming up. I'm can, sure. Can I tell you my f- my favorite? One of my favorite Zopa uh, working with Michael was the day that Michael came to visit our session. <laughs> Michael right. Server came we had, to visit, had, and it was Michael great because he showed up. Because he we, we were talking about you know we want we were going to meet because we were talking about doing the record. I'd already mixed the Christmas song, mm-hmm. um, but that was a really amazing day because we want. We were doing vocals. Right, yeah, that's right. So I'm sitting at the console, comping, comping, comping. And then both Michaels are hanging out in the fucking kitchen, (laughs) and I'm all butthurt. And I was (laughs) like, like, oh, Severus was supposed to come visit me. (laughs) And I finally had a break, and I went, oh, okay, you want to hang out with me now? It was so funny. and It was funny because he and I had met... Um, because we have a mutual friend, Todd DiCiccio, who's... Uh, oh, I know who he is. Oh, yeah, the yeah. artist, yeah. yeah. And and I think we met at a at a gallery showing that Bob Pollard was having for his art stuff. Right. So I, like, know Michael Imperioli through rock and roll and through music stuff, and I had just Crazy. finished playing with Bob Mould. <laughs> so, like, he and I were, like, the two actor guys, but all we wanted to talk about was, was music. music stuff. Well, yeah. you guys are both so fucking into music. Like, yeah. like it's crazy. Yeah, he's the same as you are. Like yeah. he goes to the shows. He knows all the fucking yeah. dudes. It's like you know, 
curtain call. Thank you. And yeah. now heading downtown. Yeah. 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 Nice. But that nice. was really that was a really fun day. And then <laughs> it was a fun but, day. But, but I, I felt that when you came in, you're like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? What are you, what are you talking about?" <laughs> I, I honestly was just busting both your chops because that's how I do it. I, I kind of like, oh, play. I play the like sad guy card, but I don't really fucking care. I thought it was awesome. You guys were hanging out. We did, I did get to take a selfie of both you guys with me, and I got to post it, so that was good. But it was, it was that was really a great day. And I remember walking you out. You were waiting for your Uber, and I gave you a big hug, and I was like so excited that we were going to do the next record yeah you know yeah but um but yeah that that was a that was really actually a very fun day yeah nice well uh i think we're uh, that's that's a podcast man right, it great. Feel, awesome. feels uh feels well, thanks great so much for having me i really appreciate it oh like, john i'm i'm honored to, no, to I know, have you but, on the podcast mm, just, man it was the coolest thing what at dockside at the end of the days watching everybody kind of like everybody geeking out and being a fan of everybody else and right. discovering like, oh my God, you did that? You right. played with him? It was like, it was. you remember those, those uh, the rock and roll family tree things? It right. was like a tree and it would have all the right. connections on. And it was like that a living version of that yeah. in the middle of the room. It was just the that coolest really, thing That really, I have to say, the, that like eight days or seven days we were there, I don't like... It was amazing recording this shit with you guys and like really developing this stuff. But then at the end of the night, like just hanging out and we'd all hang out and we'd all hang out every yeah. fucking night. Yeah. And we would just have so much fun for like two hours right. to the point where there was the one night like towards the end where you were like, I don't think I want to go. Maybe we got back from the restaurant. Yeah. You were like, eh, maybe tonight's not the best night to go, you know, back to the studio and hang out with Because yeah, I know if down. I go there, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be hanging out. But I, but you were right. And we, we yeah, just it was, yeah, because it was the place. last day. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. but that was real. I, I, you know, and I got to say, well, just to finish this up, I love this record. You guys are so great. And, and honestly, I'm just so thankful that you guys asked me to fucking do it. It's really... Uh, you know, we're doing great stuff and I'm really proud and I can't wait for this fucking record to come out. So. Right on, John. Well, thank, yeah. thank you so much for, for everything you've done. Uh, so uh, for Michael Cerverus and uh, John Onyello, I am Renee Coleman signing off from Inside the Feral Zone. Woke up tired, good the news, goodness coming down. How much more left to lose, goodness coming down.
Say, the curtain is coming down.